Hello. I'm back with episode three of There Are Only Waves. To remind you all, this is a podcast where I tell the story of my spiritual journey from evangelical Christianity to where I am now. My intention is to form a community where people from both spiritual and non-spiritual backgrounds can talk to each other on an even playing field. I want to foster a conversation where people can feel heard about where they are coming from and not be afraid to talk about what they actually believe. So, as is custom, I am telling you where I'm recording from today. I'm actually at my parents' house. They are currently out of town, and I knew this was going to be a quiet space for me to be in, as sometimes my apartment in Chicago can get quite loud. So here we are in Evanston, (laughs) right north of Chicago, right on the lake. And it seems fitting for today's episode is about a journey that goes back a while. And I'm going to begin telling that story soon. And I want you to pay attention to today because it's really important for future episodes of my podcast and really the direction of where we're going to go with this. So there's a little caveat um, to something else I want to bring into the conversation today that is interesting, to say the least. And it's talking about, you know, the current place I'm in. I want to ruin the ending of the story for you. Well, a small part of it, at least. Most of my adult life, I struggled with the concept that God actually loved me. Deep down inside, I thought God hated me. Through a series of extraordinary events, I learned the inverse, that God does indeed love me, no matter how bad I screwed up or saw myself being in the wrong. My journey of how I got there seems not like the one I'm supposed to take, But, for some reason, that's how I got to where I am now. Feeling on my good days and moments, wholly loved and accepted by God, not for who I'm supposed to be, but for who I really am. As much as I'm making this podcast about what I truly believe, which is equality amongst all spiritual groups, this is also my own spiritual journey of understanding what grace truly is, as opposed to what I thought it was supposed to look like. I hope you enjoy it, and also feel free to ask me questions as I go along, either through comments or emails or any other way you can possibly try to contact me. So today I go back to where everything started 15 years ago. Well, 16 if I count on certain things, but I'm not going to start there. Religion for the first half of my life was an intellectual exercise. God loving me and I loving God was the right thing to do, but there was no emotion behind it. The Bible itself for me was just a series of passages highlighted by my church and my parents and the various interpretations that were presented to me in both settings as facts. At this point, I do not remember receiving very much input from anywhere else that I considered to be valid. At the beginning of my senior year of high school, I broke away from reading the Bible with my mom and I started reading on my own. I decided to read the New Testament from the book of Matthew to Revelation. I read slowly and I think I might have taken the whole school year to do so. Along the way, I would read various passages I had never heard mentioned by my parents or my church. Passages such as, women should remain silent in the churches, and 
they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And so then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. To say the least, I was very confused and disillusioned. I was taught to believe that the Bible should be literally followed. And here were all these passages that I had never heard in church or anywhere else. I remembered maybe mentioning the verse about women remaining silent in churches and youth group at the end of my senior year. And one of the volunteers tried to explain away the passage. Also, just by the way, I think all these verses are terrible now. Well, maybe not all of them, but <laughs> particularly the ones about celibacy and women. And I'm going to get into that much further down the road. Problematic verses in general, that is. But I will touch upon these verses later in this episode. I will say, to the credit of my home church, the church overall believed in women in leadership when this was happening in 2005. But for the most part, I shied away from bringing up such verses to anybody. My senior year, alongside all this going on, I found myself directionless in what I wanted to do with my life. I had wanted to become a movie critic from the ages of 10 to 17, and after some discouraging events, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had senioritis, and my priorities seemed to be shifting to my friendships and away from school. I had a really fun summer after I graduated, with what became a very tight-knit youth group community. And then I left for college. At college, I became swept up in drinking with people I had just met, and at first, I stayed away from the church. Looking back at it now, my desire to rebel and do something different was often something I would continually suppress, feeling morally challenged in my actions. A month into school, I was hanging out in a friend's room with a group of guys, and he mentioned that he is going to church tomorrow morning. I clung on to the opportunity, and I told him I wanted to join him. He was surprised because none of my actions before this moment would suggest I was an evangelical Christian. I was surprised he was going to church for the same reason. But he agreed, and I joined him the next morning. After attending a couple more Sunday services, he suggested joining a small group. I proceeded to do so, and I would continue to lead a double life for the rest of the year. I felt so guilty. I stopped drinking by the end of my school year, and I went into the summer feeling spiritually dry. Returning to school my sophomore year, the first night down there, to set a good tone for myself, I decided to join a local church's Sunday night service and hang out. The following weekend, I went out with my old friends for the first time that year and surprised everyone by not drinking. I continued to feel spiritually dry throughout my sophomore year while at school. During my sophomore year, I began to do a regular evangelical practice called a quiet time every day. The general idea with this time is varied, but one is supposed to be connecting with God slash Jesus during this time. This was notable for me because for the first time away from home, I was doing something religious on my own. I felt good. About a month and a half into the school year, during one of these times, I had this thought come into my mind. What if I became a pastor? The question had never crossed my mind. Ever since my dream of becoming a movie critic had fallen apart, every career I considered felt uninteresting or unexciting to me. None of these careers felt important to me. The idea of becoming a pastor did feel important to me. I relished in the idea for a couple weeks. I was so excited. 
I even began thinking about transferring into a Christian school. I spent time on the Wheaton College webpage, dreaming of leaving my university behind. I one day called up my former youth pastor and told him with excitement of this desire. He level-headedly told me that I should stay in school and not really switch up my plans. A little discouraged, I followed his plan as well as interning with him that summer. All the while my sophomore year, I would continue to feel dry. I left my church my freshman year for the church I went to on my first night. It was my home denomination, so I felt more comfortable there. I knew what to expect, and I felt comfortable sharing and being part of the community there to a degree. I would stay at this church for the rest of my time in college. There were definitely some differences between my home church and this church. It felt less cool, and the young adults group I was a part of had very few undergrad students, and most of these students seemed to be part of a clique. I found it to be difficult finding my niche in the group. Also, I was living in a house full of friends my freshman year, but often found it difficult living there with my change of lifestyle, and I found myself constantly feeling judged, but it was very nonverbal. I still had a few of my non-Protestant friends from that year before, and this was the space I found myself being the most comfortable with anybody. Because when I was with them, they treated me like a full person, and they seemed to really know me. While the year at the house seemed to end poorly, which is a whole other story, I still managed to stay in the lease for the following year, and would find the next two years working out better. I was overall feeling very alone at school, though, and I stuck to my evangelical guns, no pun intended, and didn't drink and didn't date. That passage about celibacy and the other passages, which I read as discouraging quote less unquote and marriage, made me really consider celibacy. Besides my desire for children, and what felt like a pressure to continue my family name, I saw marriage as useless. However, feeling like this was an unpopular idea that wouldn't go well with anyone, including my Christian community, I kept my opinions to myself. I had an amazing summer in 2007, and what felt like literally the best time of my life at that point. And then I came back to school. A good friend of mine from the youth group also came down to school to start his freshman year, which made me feel really connected to somebody, especially as a friendship developed post his high school time. At the same time, I met somebody who had changed my life forever. He recently joined my young adults group that I was in. I noticed he was in seminary, which was my first connecting point with him, since I had previously taken a seminary course for undergraduate credit at the seminary the previous year. And then one day, he said he was going to disciple me. I gratefully received this at the time. In our first time getting coffee together, he told me that he was planning at the end of his time in seminary to sell everything he owned and live with the homeless in San Francisco. He also told me he was celibate. This was the first time in my life where I met someone like this. It was totally throwing me off. This was the end of my first semester of my junior year. As I returned home for a full month winter break, I started processing our conversation. As much as I had been disillusioned at points in my Christian walk from my senior year of high school to this point, I had also found that during my breaks, I was growing closer to people in my home church than I ever had growing up. However, meeting this friend in seminary was unique though, because I felt alone in a new way. Well, it was interesting, to say the least. 
He was this one person that was really making me feel loved and seen that no one else had because he actually saw these passages and believed the same thing. He was embodying some core passages that I cared about and that no one else had, re had responded to. In this moment, I suddenly felt enabled to do the same thing. When I returned to the school, you know, college, <laughs> that semester, I asked him in, a, in person if he had drawn from these passages to make the decisions that he was making. He said yes. I remembered at the time, I started talking to a couple of my friends about it. Slowly. One in a Gmail chat. She had a really long-winded explanation about why as Christians, we didn't need to do what the early church did, in Acts 2 and 4 specifically. I don't think I talked to her about celibacy. The friend who had joined me down in school, when I worked up the courage to talk to him about it, was fully supportive of me emotionally, and slightly joking. I can say to this day, whenever I tell him something nervously like this, this is his usual response. I greatly appreciate it. With him too, I don't know if I had mentioned the celibacy piece, but in future conversations to come, he just wondered if I had gotten this from my mentor when I did talk about it. I had to explain I did not. I did begin to envision myself doing the same things as him, however. Being celibate, selling all my possessions. I thought maybe I would just join my friend in San Francisco. I then went home for the summer, and while it was not as magical as the previous summer, and there was some other drama going on, I did just enjoy being with all my friends, as well as working and volunteering with a youth group in a lesser capacity. I then returned for my senior year of college, this year would prove to be very different from the previous years. Well, my friend, the one who had joined me at college the previous year, he moved out of the country to help out at a church. And then the other friend who had been discipling me the previous year surprised me when I returned to school and he handed over the reins of a small group to me, which I had been in the previous semester. At this time, I was beginning to find my niche in the young adults group I had been a part of for two years. At the same time as struggling with an unusual issue, looking back at it now. I, like many of my friends at the time, illegally downloaded music. I had a problem with it because it was illegal, which according to my interpretation of the Bible, I should not be doing anything illegally. I had reached a breaking point with this issue and decided to delete all my legal music. And then, after that, I had this strange experience. I thought I began to hear God talk to me. I was in a denomination that really promoted the idea of hearing from God, in addition with other charismatic gifts, such as speaking in tongues, physical healing, prophecy, quote, words of knowledge, unquote. These are some of the big ones. To be fair, without getting into a bunch of stories, I felt like God would tell me something, and then it would actually happen almost immediately. Weird, specific things, including God telling me that I would see someone I would, you know, know, and then right away it happened. Or somebody coming to, going to the hospital when I felt like I was being warned something was going to be bad happening to him. I think I wrote down a lot of it in a journal somewhere. It was an interesting few months. Part of this was feeling like God was telling me to start something akin to a new monastic Protestant community where people would share all their money with each other and live intentionally together in a co-ed space. By the way, my consideration of new monasticism had to do with the part that existed in evangelicalism, 
which at some level is progressive, and they would often live by the principle of sharing and selling possessions and giving to the poor, and also it was not Catholic. However, thanks to my mentor and some friends in college, I became much more open to receiving Catholicism in the long run versus how I was raised. And um, just those are some things I wanted to share with you. So if you're curious about what new monasticism is, I suggest Googling it. I'm not going to go into a lot of specifics here, but it was something that I was really into at the time, to say the least. So I felt like I was supposed to do this new monastic community with the people I was going to church with at the time. And this specific group was actually attached to this individual who was in seminary. So during my senior year, I had a break from hearing from God in this very intense way, but after that, I still felt called to form this community for the rest of that year. And into the summer, actually. And at the end of that summer, I came back home. And also to my home church and some of my friends. It was a very weird experience. The people who had been my closest friends for, you know, this period of time between my senior year of high school, my senior year of college, suddenly when I came home full-time, they suddenly also felt very distant from me. My vision for this community also felt dashed being back at home. I had so many concerns. The biggest one was actually financial. I had moved into an apartment with friends without a job. But I also felt alone, as I already mentioned, and this came in various relationships and various forms, which I won't also get into at the moment, but it was really, really hard for me. Also on top of that, I was just really overcommitted. This included the jobs I did end up finding about a month after I moved into the apartment, and also co-leading three different small groups, plus volunteering for the youth group I had also done the stupid idea of starting to date a girl two weeks before I left my college town. I was just so overwhelmed with all this crap. At my home church, I felt like no one had shared my values or my beliefs. It was honestly one of the most difficult times in my life. I was so just in this place that never wanted to be in, but here I was. And it was, you know, such a comparison to where I had been before. My seminary friend, he talked about the Bible and theology and church history to me. And all the ways he would go into it, they just gelled with what I felt to be true. I didn't think anyone would understand this at my home church. In part because the few times I did share things, it didn't seem well received at all. Though I often didn't speak directly to issues on how I really felt but it just was this isolating place to be in, and I wanted people to understand me, and I didn't want to share with people if they didn't really know what I was going through. All of this left me really mad. And it also, there was a sense inside of myself that I just knew better than everybody else. And this is also the first time when I thought, maybe I should go to seminary. Because, you know, I thought going to seminary, I was going to prove everybody wrong that I was going to church with, and that included the pastors. So, by winter, I began to voice my desire to go to seminary to others, and I began to say that the reason why is because I just wanted to figure out why I believed what I believed. This felt a lot more polite, and after all, I didn't want to go into a debate with anybody about well, what I actually believed. And as winter came, some other things changed too. 
I finally had made enough money to pay off some overdue bills, and my grandparents too, because with my grandparents, I had to ask them to pay for one of my mom's rents. It was really painful. I also paid for an evangelical conference I wanted to go to. Could finally afford to pay for things that involved going out, you know, as opposed to bumming off my friends when I wanted to go out, which was always, you know, a crappy process, especially when we're already out. I'm like, oh, I can't afford the movie. I'm like, oh, you know, could you uh, help me out? <laughs> that was done with. That was awesome. Yeah, and also I made the wise decision to break up with my girlfriend. And also, I got down to leading only two small groups, so everything seemed much more doable. Down at the conference, I visited some seminary booths. I had my first session of spiritual direction ever, which was thankfully free. To explain, spiritual direction is a process where somebody called a spiritual director helps a person hear from God more clearly and get more direction in their life. The director I met that day, he helped me to see in our session that I was looking for a place to feel more deeply rooted in. So, you know, I can say looking back at it, overall it had been a rough fall. And as I went into spring and summer, it was uh, interesting, you know, looking back in the previous spring and summer, that is. Um, <laughs> because life seemed to be going well, and then I hit this really bumpy place. And... I was hearing from God at some level, I felt like, and then suddenly it seemed like this communication just trickled. And I knew, weirdly enough, I felt like I knew, that I was supposed to break up with my girlfriend, and that's all I was hearing from God. And this was overall the quietest period I had with God from the fall of 2008, and when we broke up was January 2010. All I felt like God wanted me to do at that point, all I felt like I was hearing from God at least, was to do a 40-day fast from food. And it was interesting because I actually had heard that months prior and I didn't know what else to do with my relationship with God, so I was like, I'm going to go do this fast, which is actually a lot cooler than I thought it would be on many levels, but this one particular story I think is important to share. So it was... About day 27 into this fast, and I was with my mom of all people, and I actually was praying with her, and I felt like I had heard from God, and it was strange because I felt like I hadn't heard from God for a couple months, which for me at the time was a big deal. And so, while this fast was happening, there was also a situation I got myself into with a couple of my female friends, where I had feelings for both of them, and they also happened to be friends with each other. Also, so what I decided to do was verbalize these feelings to both of these women. The sharing of these feelings and then other conversations that started my fast and then would also continue afterwards just kept building and building all this anxiety in me. So one night I'm on my bike on the way home from work as a custodian at my church, by the way, and I was thinking about all this stuff. And I made a really good decision, <laughs> and I decided to surrender all these feelings I had to God. And suddenly, there was this peace over my body that was so great, I had to literally get off my bike and walk for a very long time. The next day, I felt this clarity of which person to choose to pursue. This person would become my wife, then my ex-wife. 
the same time this was happening through my fast, I found myself actually becoming a much softer person. Perhaps it was being away from all my friends at the church I'd been attending back at college. But at the same time, I really did find myself connecting with God in a way that, up to that point, I hadn't. It felt not so rigid. It felt a lot more loving. It felt more free. And that spring, I had found a lot of freedom for myself. Just, you know, with God, with my relationships. And things were looking good. But the summer, things got tougher. So the woman I'd been pursuing... She put up this boundary for us not dating because she was having a dating fast, apparently. And up until a week she told me that, um, she didn't mention this fast. And so I'm not going to get into that <laughs> or how that was a um, sign for things to come, but with her. <laughs> and it was nonetheless, like when she put up that boundary, I was heartbroken and I got home from this talk, this talk we had at a park nearby, and I got a letter I saw from the seminary that I was going to end up going to. And I'm going to actually pause here for a second in the story, because you're probably listening to this, and you're like, well, what's going on with this guy? <laughs> um, he sounds kind of crazy. He's hearing from God. What is that about? And I'm not going to go against that right now. I'm not going to speak against any of these things that I'm talking about, because... I, well, you know, I just want to say that in general, I disagree with a lot of things I was doing, looking back at it. But I do want you to hear the story in a way where I'm experiencing it in these moments. You know, mind you, they're 10, 15 years ago, but I want you to kind of just be in the moment with me so you can see through my eyes how I felt and how I ended up where I am now, the conclusions I have reached. So now back to this day where... I got shut down from this girl, and also I received this letter from the seminary. So, the seminary I knew was the best fit for me of all the ones I applied to. But, I was sad that I was not moving away and going on a new adventure. The seminary was actually only a ten minute walk from the place I had been living at. And that wasn't even the reason I chose to go there. And this made it easy to resign the lease for the next year at this apartment... And at the same time, all the joy and excitement I had been experiencing from all the possibilities of leaving vanished and everything else, relationship, business. It's just like I felt shut down a little bit again. Not as bad as it had been, but still shut down. And then my disappointment actually (laughs) would get worse when I actually started seminary a couple months later. So to explain, part of the reason I stayed here in Chicago had to do with greater diversity of the city versus Portland, Oregon. Portland, I discovered, was not a very diverse city, and this had been the only other place I had applied to for seminaries. I did have some vision in my head still of starting a new monastic community at the time, but I began through another story that I'm not going to tell. I, I, racial diversity was a newfound passion of mine, and I wanted that community to be diverse, and I actually went to a new, new monastic community in Portland, and there was like 30 people there, and I asked about diversity there, and they told me, well, this one guy is half Asian, and that was the moment I really knew I wasn't supposed to be there. So, alas, I'm here back in Chicago in the story, and 
the uh, seminary I chose to go to, which was advertising how diverse it was. The whole school was like, we're all about diversity. And that includes the undergrad that's attached to as well. And I get there, and I realize in the first couple of days that my entire incoming class of about 20 people, they were all white. I was so devastated. So I slowly started making friends at the seminary. But once again, in all this stuff, I'd become so disillusioned. And then the coursework that really began to build. I was in an MDiv program, or Master of Divinity, and that first semester was so difficult. It was so difficult, I just forgot about everything else I was concerned about when I got there. So, Master of Divinity, it's a standard master's degree for anyone wanting to become a pastor or priest. You can also look that up if you have more questions, but that's basically what it is. And so, I went from my first semester, which was difficult, into my second semester, and at the beginning of my second semester, I actually started dating the person who had previously been on a dating fast. And that entire time, that relationship was so painful. But at that moment, life just continued to chug along. Little did I know what was to come in store for me. So near the end of the semester, at the end of April, my dad had a seizure, which proved to actually be caused by a small benign brain tumor. This was the first time something like this happened in my life. It was very difficult for me for at least a few months afterwards. Thankfully, he got it removed and has, to this day, relatively not faced too many consequences from that whole event. But, nonetheless, <laughs> more hard times, right? So, third semester seminary starts, and I took an Eastern Orthodox Theological Tradition class. This class really changed my life. To this day, certain aspects of what I learned in this class permanently have shaped my faith, particularly the concept of theosis. Without getting into theological specifics, theosis is union with God, and it's primarily based in spiritual experience and not academic study. Theosis is the purpose of the life of a human being. So actually the point I'm trying to make is this. I adapted 95% of Eastern Orthodox theology as my own for the next six years. One of the issues that occurred with this, however, is that my partner at the time and future spouse, she grew up Greek Orthodox, actually, and she had issues with that, and for that matter, the whole Orthodox Church. I valid going to the same church as this person, so I never told her I wanted to leave our church for this other kind of church, and also personally, I actually struggled with none of these local churches being racially diverse. So, as time went on, this relationship took up more and more energy, and then we got engaged, right? <laughs> Whole time, just a pain. <laughs> and then, on top of that, my third semester, as it ended, I was just completely burnt out. I was thinking about leaving seminary, and actually, my idea at the time was, I'm going to join my friend who had come back for a few weeks, but was about to go on the second half of his walk across all the Japanese islands. However, I decided to follow my desire at the time to get married. At this time, or at that time, should I say, <laughs> I was feeling like God had ordained this. 
So I'm not really sure how to break down the concept I'm talking about or why I was thinking this, but what I can say is that part of my personal theology and relationship with God had largely to do with following my heart's desires as long as they didn't contradict my interpretation of the Bible. So I got engaged. And then I continued my fourth semester in seminary. And so at this time, I took my second class of New Testament studies. And in this class, there was one lesson where my professor, my professor convinced me why the Bible condones women leadership in the church and is also against slavery and against practicing homosexuality. Well, I won't begin on how weird this lesson was in retrospect, I was already against slavery, so duh. And it reaffirmed my then position on a quote, practicing homosexuality, unquote. What the? And then um, I finally had a theology about women leadership in the church that made sense to me. It was an issue I had taken a non-position on for the past eight years since. You know, since I read the passages, right? So here I was in class and our all these things are hitting me at the same time. And I was like, I'd gone from this place of eight years of seeing, well, the New Testament's against it, and I technically don't believe in it, but I'm, at a practical level, not going to do anything to oppose it. And I, I was finally convinced this was the biblical thing to do. And I was okay with it, right? <laughs> Funny looking back at it. So, different class later that semester, church history class, well, for the denomination that I was a part of, who was very, you know, mind you, pro-women leadership, they were talking about this issue, right? This issue of interpretation of the Bible. There's 40 students in this class. And my professor decided to ask everybody if women should be leaders in the church. And everyone raised their hand if one believed women should be leaders in the church. And then my professor asked, okay, what are the reasons why? And... I was the only one who raised their hand saying, well, I was convinced by a teaching I'd gotten. The majority of the class actually came to believe in women leadership through experience. I remember this bothered me greatly at the time. So, at this point, you've been following me from my first time when I read the New Testament by myself when I was 17 to my New Testament 2 class at the end of my second year of seminary when I was 25. So this isn't really the perfect place to stop, but alas, we are definitely over 30 minutes at this point, so we'll have to wait till next time. And I'm really excited that when we go back and, you know, continue our story, it's going to be a really fun time. So on the next episode of There Are Only Waves, I'll pick up with me going to the Democratic Republic of Congo for a life-changing seminary class. Until then, be well.